Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A truck slowly drives by your house at night, with a cloud of fog coming out from behind it. It might seem creepy, but that fog is effectively synthetic chrysanthemum water that was specifically engineered to target mosquitoes based on their flight patterns. Welcome to Tiny Vampires, a podcast about disease, science, and blood-sucking insects, a member of the Agora Podcast Network. I'm Raven Forrest Riscalzo, your host. I'm here today with a guest, Sam Steins. Thank you so much for this opportunity to be here with you. My name is Sam Steins. I'm a, a biologist with a company called VDCI, or Vector Disease Control International. And they've been around for over 30 years, and we do public health mosquito control and vector control. So all we do is mosquitoes and ticks and, uh, and blood-sucking insects. I graduated with a biology degree from the University of New Orleans, which is an accredited school. We don't just drink there. We do study <laughs> and, and those type of things. But, uh, but I've been in this, this line of business for nearly 18 years now. And our company does a lot of response to emergencies such as virus events when we find virus in populations, as well as hurricanes and, and the mosquitoes that come after. It's, it's a great job. It's something I never thought I'd be kind of pulled into. I don't like mosquitoes, which is a good thing. And that's why I'm here. Whenever I tell people that I do this show or that I study mosquitoes, they always worry that I'm going to get upset if they kill one. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I have probably killed more mosquitoes in one month than you have killed in your entire life. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're talking about mosquito fog trucks. D. Jacob sent in a question because her area that she lives in was one of the places that had that outbreak of eastern equine encephalitis. So she was hearing a lot of anxiety about the disease, but also a lot of anxiety about all of the fog trucks that were driving around in their neighborhoods. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to to come on and answer Dee's question. And I'm sure like a lot of people <laughs> have thought about this. Um, like even me, when I was a little kid, I lived in Florida and I remember the the trucks driving around my neighborhood and having all kinds of questions about them. So, um, absolutely. And back then, you didn't mind running through it and uh, and getting covered with it. And 
not yeah. knowing what it was. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, my my dad has all kinds of stories about that. And there's been so much science that's that happens every year. So from outward appearances, the the truck driving down the road all slow at night, it it might seem the same, but there's there's so much more thought that goes into it now than than used to be. Oh, there really is. There's tracking, there's uh, GPSs, there's uh, metrics on how much is coming out, and there's uh, it's, it's pretty scientific, which is good. It's good. Why is spraying so important for public health? Well, first of all, we need to decrease those vectors. So what we do is just really manage risk, and we look at what are the possibilities of, of transmission and how do we lessen that risk? How do we reduce those mosquitoes to levels that we feel are are safe for people to be outside and enjoy the environment. That's mainly why we're spraying. And of course, down here in southern Louisiana, we have tidal flows and we have uh, uh, big hurricanes. And on the backside of those hurricanes, we'll have incredible numbers of mosquitoes. And it, it almost, it'll make a area uninhabitable. And so we uh, we'll often have to use planes or use trucks and, and use those adulticides to get those levels down so that not only humans, but animals can stay healthy and, and enjoy the environment. It feels good to be in the public health sector, and it feels good to be helping. It's hard to see uh, people get sick. It's hard for family members to to get sick. So uh, so it feels good to be a part of that. You know, we, we also raise them. We have a couple biologists whose sole job is to go out and grab these things, bring them back to our lab, and then and then treat them as children, and we raise them up and uh, feed them. And we're doing that in order to test it against the tools that we have, the uh, pesticides that we mm. use. And so we're constantly looking for a uh, buildup of tolerance. And and we're using a certain type of mosquito. So the, uh, the one that uh, is normally the vector for West Nile virus, uh, the southern house mosquito, uh, these are ones with uh, high levels of genetic diversity. They breed really fast and you'll have multiple generations very quickly. And so they're they're the ones we want to test against. They're the most hardy. They breed in these kind of really septic. This could be motor oil. This could be sewage. It could be uh, dishwasher liquid. So these things are really hardy. And unfortunately, they're the, the top vector for disease in our area. Although we were talking about West Nile, the mosquito control methods for eastern equine encephalitis would be really similar to West Nile, right? They would. They would. Uh, with a little bit of difference uh, with the species that you're you're targeting. You do adapt a little bit differently what type of situation and what type of mosquito you're going after. But you're using the same same methodology and you're using the same type of chemicals to uh, to target those those guys or girls. And mosquitoes are different. So you know, there's 50 to 60 species in any given area, and they all act a little differently. You know, some of them bite worms, some of them bite frogs or alligators, and so we don't worry about those. Mm. But there's about a dozen that do carry disease or or come out in such numbers that uh, that you have to take action. And so when we find those, then we'll we'll target those, and we'll uh, uh, they come out at different times at night. So we'll uh, make sure our applications are are going after those uh, particular species of mosquitoes. Right. So so that's one of the things that I think kind of creeps people out a little bit about what people call the fog trucks um, is is that it seems uh, they seem kind of creepy coming out at night. <laughs> <laughs> it is a weird noise. And yeah, it's it is kind of creepy going down the street slowly. And uh, yeah, it, I could see that. But that's the reason behind it is that um, the, the mosquitoes that 
are transmitting the diseases, that's like basically that's their vulnerable time, right? Absolutely. That's the active time. You're right. So there are a couple mosquitoes that that do come out during the day, but I would say 99% of them do come out in the evening time and go to the wing, so to speak. And that's one of the key components of, of our spray is we need, the insects has to be flying. The way the wing pattern of a mosquito is, if you stretch your arms out to your sides as far as they'll go, I don't know what yoga pose that is, but if you do that <laughs> and you you make the infinity sign or you make the figure eight sign with your with your arms, uh, you're actually flying like a mosquito. And so uh, that motion brings in those little droplets that we're spraying and lets that chemical impinge on their body. And because uh, one or two droplets isn't really going to do anything. They need to they need to be out there flying and helping to draw that chemical into them. And, uh, and that's one of the advantages, too, because non-targets don't normally do that same motion. And, and non-targets uh, like butterflies or bees, they're they're at the hive or they're hunkered down for the night. So mosquitoes are out and they're, uh, and they're doing that motion to help us uh, kill them. Yeah. So this, this isn't, we'll just spray randomly and see, see what happens. There's so much knowing mosquito physiology, knowing mosquito flight patterns when they're the most active and vulnerable. And so there's, there's so much science that gets put into this, right? There really is. There really is. And even to the size of the droplet that are about half the size of human hair. And the amount of active ingredient in each of those little tiny droplets, uh, you know, the word, we don't want to kill non-targets. So we, we make sure we throw enough of those BBs out there to uh, connect with the mosquito. But the mosquito has to help out and has to do some of the work and get that lethal dose so that we don't harm other things. And uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and of course, uh, the way we know that there are certain mosquitoes in the area is just by surveillance. Uh, adult deciding or killing the adult population of mosquitoes with insecticides is kind of the last ditch effort. It's it's actually very hard because there's a lot of there's trees, there's houses, there's a lot of there's a lot of blockade to your chemical. It's hard to get mm-hmm. that chemical to them. So if we can uh, begin by doing surveillance and looking for uh, what mosquitoes are where and then we uh, maybe we find the immature mosquitoes and we use a different type of of chemical uh, bacterial chemical uh what we call biorational chemicals, something that's comes from nature that's uh, safe, and we we target those immature mosquitoes and uh, before they even become adults. And it's better on the environment. It's it's actually cheaper. And uh, uh, when you consider that one mosquito can lay up to two hundred eggs uh, at a time, it's uh, you want to get those those baby mosquitoes. So it's it's basically the bacteria is almost like a, a natural predator that you're using instead of having to resort later to the chemical sprays. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's safe for, for mammals. It's safe for your dog to drink. We don't have the enzyme to break apart that little toxin in the, uh, in the bacteria, So, but the mosquitoes do. So basically, can you talk about like how, how you guys make the decisions on when to spray and or when to hold off? Yeah, basically, we have a lot of information that comes in on a daily basis. So we're we're setting out surveillance traps almost daily and doing something called a landing rate where they'll go into an empty lot or, or a bunch of trees and they'll sit there and they'll see what kind of mosquitoes are landing on them. So <laughs> that's, a, that's a sacrifice, right? Uh, <laughs> it is, yeah. We don't tell the new employees that they're getting into that. That's a, uh, that's a second week instruction yeah. <laughs> uh, so that they don't run. Not, not but, part uh, of the job interview. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, but very important. And uh, so we associate different values with 
the type of mosquito that they are, and then the number of mosquitoes. If we have uh, certain mosquitoes that maybe aren't medically important or aren't factors of, of disease, but are a very nuisance uh, biters, you're taking that information, you're speciating all the mosquitoes from those traps, you're sending certain medically important ones off to state labs or you're testing them and you're gathering that information. You're also collecting information from from residents that are calling. You're also taking the environment into check. You're, I know oftentimes when we get into periods of drought, we get a little nervous because uh, the mosquitoes are using the same water source as the birds. And the birds, of course, are the reservoirs for the disease. So we start to look back in our books and look in the computer and see where our known spots are for these puddles. We take all that information and we uh, we put it into a mind of a biologist. And uh, I don't know what happens at that point, but they shake it around. And then, <laughs> and then that's how we uh, decide where to uh, where we're going to send trucks or decide where we're going to send crews to larvicide. The people who are making those decisions, it's not something that they take lightly. No, not, and it's very difficult. I have to say that the uh, the EPA is actually helping out in this. They've gotten a lot more strict in recent years. You know, some of that policy has gotten relaxed as of late, but it's still pretty strict, which is which is very good, and it's very good for us. For instance, on the labels, you're only allowed to apply so much of the active ingredient per year, and uh, uh, some of these products that we have uh, contain similar active ingredients. And uh, so you have to watch that. You can't just spray when you want to, and and you can't just spray as at high label rates and, and think that you're going to be okay. So you have to rotate. And then, then they also make it so that you can't spray on just continuous nights mm-hmm. back to back. They want you to relax that pressure on the environment. And and those are great things. Those are things that, that you, you have to do. You have to be good steward of the environment because we need it. They had something that came out called the Clean Water Act. And so uh, mainly that is to prevent discharge from going into streams and then going down rivers and affecting people's water. And uh, it was kind of all-inclusive. It didn't only deal with that, but it also made you take note and have a reason for applying. You need a certain number of mosquitoes or they have to be a certain vector of disease and they have to be at a certain number. And and so you have to have a good reason to spray and, and apply those adulticides. Uh, which I think is great. Right. When you're thinking about all these different aspects of public health, water quality is an aspect of public health as much as preventing mosquito-borne diseases. So it's it's kind of a way of combining all of these these different ideas and making sure that we're not sacrificing one for another. That's a great way to put it. So we've kind of talked about the thought behind spraying and everything, but what, what exactly is the spray like what are what are those active ingredients well mainly they're uh pyrethrins which are kind of a synthetic version of a natural insecticide that's found in chrysanthemum plants we don't have very many tools to to use in mosquito control so uh, they've done some tweaking of the molecule and that tweaking of the molecule is categorized as a pyrethroid so it's kind of like a uh, kind of like a human humanoid, it's it's mimicking something. So, uh, so we're mimicking that natural uh, molecule inside that uh, chrysanthemum, and uh, so that's one class of chemical. And then we also use a little bit of organophosphates, and mainly from uh, the plains because they have a little little different mode of action, which is good because we need to rotate different tools and different uh, chemicals at these mosquitoes so they don't build up tolerance. So we need those different modes of action. But the the ones that we drop from the plane 
actually weigh a lot. It's like 16 pounds per gallon. Mm-hmm. So, so one of the important things is when you're when you're dealing with uh, applying and this chemical normally goes about 300 feet, you have to watch where you're drifting. Uh, you have to watch because uh, you have things like hypersensitive residents, residents that that don't want the effects of the mosquitoes. So they'll call us and we'll we'll make a uh, a buffer zone around them. But you also have bees and you have uh, other types of uh, insects and arthropods that they're people are caring for organic gardens and those type of things. So, so you have to be careful with drift. So the good thing about that chemical that we're applying from the plane is it's very heavy. And so uh, we wanted to go where we needed to go and, and nowhere else. So we have those tools and, and that's basically what we're spraying. And uh, the dose is, is very small. We, we apply the chemical based on pounds per acre and it's like 0.0035 per methrin pounds per acre. And so when you consider an acre is about a football field, that's, that's less than the little sugar packet for that whole wow. football field. So, uh, and we're splitting that up into droplets. The good thing about that is mosquitoes are tiny, and uh, when you consider a dragonfly or a bee, it's not having much effect on those. Uh, and luckily, they're not out at the time we're spraying anyway. But it wouldn't have a big effect on those because the droplets are so small and the dose, the active dose, is so small. Uh, the chemical that we're using is very low uh, toxicity, and uh, when you when you speak of risk, it's toxicity versus uh, times exposure. So the chemical to begin with at our concentration is very safe, uh, but and it's also based on uh, exposures. Somebody who might have the truck driving down the road by their yard, their exposure is going to be so minimal that it's it's really nothing to worry about. Absolutely, absolutely. And I would, I would. Uh, make the argument that a lot of the chemicals that you have underneath your sink that you use to clean are are way more toxic to you than than the chemical that we're applying. A while back in episode 19, we talked about permethrin and pyrethroids and how physiologically the reason why they don't affect people. Um, so, so we're not going to get too far into why it's not so toxic to humans, but it is toxic to to insects. You guys can listen to that episode um, if you want more information about that. The thing to cover now is the concern about what you were saying before, these off-target effects. Are we concerned about these insecticides killing things other than mosquitoes? We are definitely concerned with that. Uh, and the good thing is there's a lot of research that's continually being done. This is a it's a pretty hot topic. And uh, one person that I would recommend that maybe you look to on your show is uh, uh, Dr. Kristen Healy, who is uh, with uh, Louisiana State University, and she's done a lot of uh, bee research. Her and her husband are, are big in the bees, and they're also part of the community when it comes to mosquito control. So she's she's bridged that gap. Her research and, and her suggestions go far, and when it goes to non-targets such as bees, it's again, it's mitigation of risk. We're spraying at a time in the evening time when the bees are back in the hive. And we're talking with beekeepers uh, to know where their hives are so that we can turn the spray off and we can uh, lessen the chance of them becoming uh, hit. She's also doing some research into uh, crawfish. Crawfish are big down here in the south and and they're around uh, the areas that we spray. So there's a lot of research being done and it's great research and, and right. uh, we need to take that and uh, and utilize it best we can. And really becoming part of the community when you have these beekeeper communities are, are very, very large organizations. Uh, you know, we just went to one in, in the state of Mississippi. We have a, a program out there and, and they were so responsive and they want you to know where they are so that you can 
you can mitigate that risk. But they also want to uh, help out best as possible too. They realize that mosquitoes do cause problems and they carry disease. And so uh, they would like you to spray and they just want to know and they want to take part by covering or moving those hives to an area where it's not going to be affected by the spray. So it's a, it's a group effort. And uh, I have to say that it's always been positive when, when the two sides get together and they start talking and, and really educating each other on, on needs and concerns. And who doesn't want to be friends with with the uh, the beekeeper communities because the last time we went we just got tons of honey and it was it was fantastic. It it might not be something that people think of directly. Your guys's work is really saving lives. Every every time there's an outbreak of a disease, it's really life saving work. It is, and it, it's what keeps you going. The the one to one of I I see a truck and I don't get sick. It's not something that we necessarily are thinking about. It comes with a, uh, a certain level of uh, a responsibility, too. You are applying pesticides in the air, and uh, and you have to be uh, very responsible in, in how you how you deal with those those uh, pesticides. Yeah. Once again, I really I really appreciate you uh, uh, taking the time. Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity. It, I've enjoyed talking with you. And if anyone ever has any questions, uh, you know. I'm with VDCI, and, and we have entomologists on staff, and they can they can contact and and or they want to just talk about mosquitoes in their area, and we can we can talk with them about that. Fantastic. We talked a little bit about the larvicides that mosquito control programs use, but we didn't get too far into it. If you want to hear more about mosquito-killing bacteria and other control methods, just let me know. Uh, Sam offered to come back on anytime if you guys want to hear more about boots-on-the-ground tiny vampire slaying. For the Agora podcast announcement this month, I want to tell you about the Podcastinic Network. It's not just a group of podcasts, but also YouTube channels, too. You can find all of them at podcastnick.com. That's uh, podcast N-I-K. As someone who uses a mobility device myself, I especially love their channel Past Access. It's a great show that demonstrates that history and travel can be accessible to anyone. Thank you to Title Card Music and Sound for our intro and outro music. Until next month, let your neighbor know that her local vector control people are pretty friendly and can help out with those pesky mosquitoes without hurting her bees. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.